I feel like the, some of the toughest decisions that I have to make in my life are at moments where I have to, where I feel like I have to decide between people and principles, uh, where I feel like those two things are in conflict. Because I, I, know, I know that principles are important, right? We, in life, we try to set our rules on good principles. We try to base things on that, and we try to live by them. Because we feel like, I, I know that life it fluctuates a bit, but if we, tr- if we try to treat everybody differently, then some people will feel like that's unfair. So you feel like I need to base things on principles. But then also, I know that people are super important, and I know that situations are different. And so sometimes situations dictate that you need to treat this in a unique way. And so I end up struggling. And I know that I don't always get it right, ask for forgiveness when I don't, but it also does lead to some contradictions. For example, I will tell you, when people come to my door, I have a very clear policy. I do not buy things from people who come to my door. I don't like to talk to them, and I am cold-hearted. I am completely cold-hearted to everyone. I buy nothing from somebody, even if it's something I need right now. I don't buy it from them. It's a very clear policy, and I totally stick to it. Except, it's kind of a big except, right? There's one group, always has access. Girl Scouts, yes. And, and, and in a broader sense, I would say kind of anything being sold by my neighbor's kids. If, it, if it's something for school, something for Girl Scouts, then I will buy something even if it's something I don't like. Right? So, in that situation, you guys maybe agree that, that is a right way to bend my principles, right? I'm doing it for the good thing. It's an appropriate bending of the rules. But things aren't always so clear cut. It's not always like that. This is the first Sunday of the month, and in our congregation, one of the things that we do the first Sunday of the month is we take a special collection for benevolence, we call it, and it's, give, it's money that's given toward people in need, people who are, have a special, specific need, people who are poor, uh, people who are having some kind of issue that's going on right there. So the money that we give, uh, Al will be at the back, and uh, he'll have a special gold plate to collect that at the end, that... That money is specifically given toward the poor. We're saying, this, I intend for this to go to people, to help people out. And so sometimes that's super easy. We, there are a lot of cases where we just say, this is really easy and we can help people with, with a gas card or be able to help them with different things like that, get them some food. But there's some other places we, we acknowledge that we live in a fallen world. And we also know that there's some people that want to take advantage of churches that are, and our kind of goodwill and want to play the system a little bit. So there are other times where we struggle to know, is this the right way for us to use the money that was intended for this? So there's a struggle. We're stuck between people in situations. Maybe it's an ongoing situation. We don't know. There's, there are things. We struggle with that. So you can probably think of several situations where you also struggle between these two things, between your principles and with people. If you're an employer, for example, you, you want to treat your employees really well. You want them to love working there. But it, you don't want them to choose on their own feeling or whim when it's okay for them to come to work, right? So they don't get to determine that. Uh, when I asked my friends online about this, one friend said that she, she feels this tension. She's a, te- she's a teacher, And she said, at the end of the year, she said, she's been telling her students all year long, I'm not going to give you extra credit at the end. 
I, I'm going to stand by this. You guys work now and tries to work with all these seniors. But she says sometimes she gets presented with a senior who comes to her and her class is the one that will keep them from graduating. And so she says, you know, I, 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 I told them. I told them I wasn't going to budge. You want to hold them to some responsibility. Like, come on, you got to be responsible. But I also, I just feel like it's such a small thing for me to get in the way for them to be able to kind of just move on. So we get caught. Parents out there, I know that you feel this too. You feel like, should I even read them one more story uh, before bed or sh- should I let them do that? I, you want to do that without them uh, getting angry with their, or you make your kids do their homework. You make them use all the brushes. You make them uh, do the things that they need to do. Uh, you, you want to help them stay out of trouble, all that kind of stuff, but you don't want them to hate you at the end. So I want them to do all the things, but I don't want them to hate you. Youth, I know that you're in here today. It may surprise you to think that your parents actually struggle with that. You're maybe thinking to yourself, maybe other parents struggle with that, not my mom. My mom enjoys giving me the rules. She doesn't care. She is a homework-making, toothbrushing, go-to-bed-making machine, right? But I want to tell you, your mom does struggle with that. She wants you still to, you want to have a relationship with her. And, and, and I know that you want to do fewer chores and you want to have more stuff. You want to not do as much homework. You want to have more free time. That's the challenge, and, you, and your parents are, are struggling with that. But they want you to also to be responsible adults. So there's a struggle. I, I'll add just for the youth, I know that you also struggle sometimes. Maybe, maybe you want to respect your parents' limits. Say, for example, like there's a curfew to come in, and you say, I want to respect my parents. I want to do that. But you're with your friends and it's really hard, and you feel the pressure of your friends to want to stay out longer. All of us, all of us have these moments where we are caught between what we know is right or what is our principle and the pressure that we have from people, and it could be a good or bad pressure, but we get caught with those pressures. I think we get caught between this feeling of like not wanting to lower the bar or uh, want to bend our principle on the one hand or kind of ignoring people or being cold-hearted on the other, and we, we don't want either of those things. The good news is the Bible does give us some guidance in this. It reassures us that it's a common human experience for us to feel caught between those things, but it is going to give us a surprising answer for how we're supposed to navigate this, how we're supposed to figure out whether we're supposed to prioritize one over the other or just to be able to do this. And it's going to be surprising, I will tell you, if you have already formulated an opinion about what you think that the answer might be, if you have an idea of what I would say, I know that the popular opinion about people who take the Bible seriously, I will say, is that it's kind of bent toward rule following. It's bent toward uh, people who are maybe, maybe even becoming increasingly cold-hearted. And maybe that's because you've had the experience of having somebody in your life, or even worse, somebody in your family, who maybe they will end their time of telling you how you're supposed to follow the rules by clapping on at the end a kind of a flint-hearted scripture at the end of the thing that that somehow just is an extra slap at the end for you. You may have had that. And so the end result is for a lot of people, the, the way that they process what they think is that if people start to be more involved with God, that maybe they're going to be more cold-hearted. And that is not, that's not what we want to be perceived as. And I don't think that's what anyone sets out to become, but we can acknowledge that that is the truth. For some, some people do become more like that. But I want to tell you, if they do become like that, 
They're doing so by working against the flow of the narrative of Scripture. And specifically, they're fighting against the direct teachings of Jesus himself. Let's get into it. We're going to look at Luke 13. And this is uh, Luke 13. You can open your app or your Bible if you've got it. And we're going to read from verses 10 to 17. Luke 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it out, uh, lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. We invite you, Lord, to to guide us this morning. Holy Spirit, teach our hearts that we may hear your word and apply it in our lives. And we we pray that you will multiply our our devotion to you and our connection to you and your word and your work in this world because of what Jesus has done. We pray in his name. Amen. Like I already said, I am glad you're with us today. We are in a series right now on our Sundays where we are looking a little more deeply at some of the questions that Jesus asked. And let me tell you, Jesus is the expert question asker. And he he asks questions always with a purpose. And his purpose oftentimes is to reveal something new about who God is, about God's character, to reveal something new about what's in our own hearts, or also to motivate us to take a step of faith. And the passage that we just looked at, I think it's going to do all three things. The question that Jesus asks is going to do all three things today for us. And the question that we're focusing in on is that one in verse 16. Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? little longer than some of the other questions, but this one has gotten better and better as I've looked at it longer. So uh, let's set the situation. You, you heard it. On the one hand, they are in a synagogue. This is a place of worship. And there is an element of this scene. We got to have a little compassion for the synagogue leader. He has kind of expected things to look a certain way, and suddenly the scene is a lot more chaotic. This guy, Jesus, has shown up. He has a bunch more followers with him, so there are more people in there, and it's just not following the normal routine of what things to expect there. And, and so Jesus has, has made everything feel really different by being there, and it just feels chaotic. Do you, can, you, can you have a moment to feel for him? When life feels a little chaotic, we get a little frazzled get a little punchy sometimes, even pastors, right before a service. <laughs> so it's on the Sabbath. That one hit me a little bit more right now, just to tell you the truth. I'm just, okay, yeah, uh, okay. It's on the, but it's on the Sabbath. So this is a day of rest. It's a day uh, that was commanded by God. A little bit of background on that. When God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, he 
uh, brought them across the desert, and among the different commandments that he gave them, the commands that he gave them, were these ten words, these ten commandments that were given to his people, not worshiping false idols, to not uh, commit murder, anything like that. But besides those things, among them was remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It was a day when people were supposed to stop doing and to simply be for one day. And it was completely revolutionary. There's no other faith up to that point that had ever done anything like this. It, it's not, it wasn't said just to worship God. It wasn't, it wasn't that there was something that was specific that we were supposed to do. There, it, it was a day for worship. It was to set aside for God. But it was just to not work. And it was a commandment, and God knew that there was something about this commandment that was really important for his people's hearts, that it would shape them to stop and rest once a week. But it, it would also distinguish them from the cultures around them because nobody else was doing this. And it would also be hard. And it wouldn't always be easy for them to do it. And it was hard. That was kind of the history of the way that it went for people. If you have read the book of Nehemiah, you know that there were, there were times when work started to creep into that day of rest. In fact, Nehemiah, this leader, uh, he had to kind of fight back against people. He ended up having to, to lock the city gates to keep these traders from coming in on the Sabbath day and stop people from, from doing uh, continue to do work and to trade on that day. And it's, he says that the, the traders still kept coming for a while uh, on the Sabbath day and finally figured out, wait, they're not going to open the gates on this day anymore. It was a, it was a new thing. Uh, but in order to avoid that kind of creep, of the creeping in of work into our day, the, the leaders tried to find ways to say, hey, let, let's protect ourselves from letting that sneak in. So some religious leaders started to make rules that kind of went around what should or should not be done on the Sabbath. And none of those were a part of the original command. But So God's command was that we weren't supposed to do work on that day. That was the main idea. But these leaders, they added rules kind of in a way. Let, let's imagine if the, if, the, if the rule is don't fall off the cliff, okay, that's a good rule. Uh, what they did is they set some rules back a little bit farther, like the handrail got put back a little bit farther from the edge of the cliff so that people won't fall off. So their idea was, hey, let's create a buffer around this so that we are sure that we're not going to impinge on the actual law. It's this guardrail kind of thing. But what happened is over time, a lot of people started to see that guardrail kind of rule as the actual law that God gave. And so if we were to cross that thing, it's the same in their mind as crossing God's law. But Jesus disagrees. Jesus says we didn't need to add something to that. So he heals this woman right there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. This woman who walked in, doubled over. She had been like that for 18 years she's able to walk out, standing straight, praising God. And, and he, it's interesting, when he does this healing, there's not a lot of lead up, you know, it's not like a discussion with people beforehand. He just kind of sees her and he goes, woman, you're healed. There you go. Just kind of does it very easily. It's not that big a deal. But the leader of the synagogue gets kind of stirred. He doesn't like this. And he gets stirred enough that he says something, although he does it a little passive aggressively. He doesn't talk to Jesus talks to the people, it says there. He says, he addressed the crowd. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So he's saying, hey, listen, there's plenty of time to do this. Let's not, 
come on, you're making it crazy in here. So he's addressing the people, but then Jesus speaks back directly to him. And Luke, uh, here, our uh, biographer, he refers to him as the Lord. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So he's saying, hey, listen, each of you guys, every, every Sabbath morning, you go and you untie your animal and you lead it outside so that it can get the food or water that it needs. And none of you says at the time that that is work for you to untie this thing. And none of you thinks, hey, you know what? There are six days for my donkey to eat and, uh, and to drink. Why doesn't it have a break on the Sabbath? No, no, he says, that is the same thing as what I'm doing. And this woman, I should set her free on that day as well. And it's in the form of a question, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, like you guys, whom Satan has kept bound, shouldn't she be set free from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. Twice Jesus uses the term set free. And twice he says that she was kept bound. See, all these imagery of being held in bondage. And he, and he leads into this explanation by talking about how animal, your animals you have are untied. Over and over again, this image of being tied or, or bound. And, and, and I think there's, this is a particular reason why it says that they were, felt so humiliated, why this hit them really hard. And it might be something that for us nowadays in our time that we may not see this at first blush. Because there are two different times in the Old Testament where God repeats the the Ten Commandments. One of them is in Exodus 20, and one of them is in Deuteronomy 5. And they are the same list of commandments that we have in both of them, but there's one difference. There's one key difference between them, and it has to do with the Sabbath day. And it's the rationale for why people do the Sabbath day. In Exodus 20, it talks about how God made the world and God built into the whole cosmos this idea of rest, that God himself would rest from creation and that we would need to rest as well, that it's, it's built into our being as people that we need rest and God has put it that way, so don't fight against it. But in, in Deuteronomy 5, it gives the same command but with a different rationale. Listen to this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And if we, if we hear those words, it starts to sound a little bit like somebody who unties their animal and leads it out to the water that they need. The reason why the people had been slaves, the, the, the reason that God even was able to give them their commands is because he had set them free from what had bound them. And so the Sabbath in this Deuteronomy rationale that's there is that the Sabbath was meant to brand our hearts as people who have been freed by God. That we have a Sabbath, we have a day off because we've been set free by God. And we have, a, we have this God who loves us so much that he wanted to set us free. So if there's any moment that somebody should be set free, it follows that it probably should be on the Sabbath, to tell you the truth. That's the kind of day 
when pink people are set free. So, so Jesus, I, I wonder, do you hear that though? Is Jesus saying that we should just bend our principles when we need to for people? And, and I don't think that's what's happening here. It, it would be easier for us in, in, a, in a cursory reading of things just to say, you know, Jesus, what he does when he, reads, when he goes through scripture is he, he just loosens up a bunch of rigid teaching of the law and makes it a little easier for people to follow. It's, it was too stuffy before, so God is now making it a little easier for people. But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here because that's not what he does anywhere else. When, when Jesus approaches the Ten Commandments, at each time he approaches them, he makes them stricter. So he says, hey, you know, not only can you not commit murder, but when you think evil thoughts about other people, when you hate them in your heart, you're committing murder. And, and you know, it's not just about, about the a-, a physical act of adultery. You know, if you are lusting after somebody in your heart, you're already going there. You're breaking the command already. And so here he's saying these extra traditions and rules that have been put around the Sabbath, they haven't had the effect of actually making it more than what it is, it's actually had the effect of making that command too small. That we, we've kind of fenced in what the Sabbath is supposed to be, and we said, th- 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 this is all that it's supposed to, to, f- to reach into my life. If, if it's a, just a list of rules, then I know that I, I'm doing it all. I know if I've accomplished everything that I'm supposed to because I checked off everything on the list, and so I end, end up not having to actually deal with God. Because I, I, I took care of my thing. I don't even have to talk to God about whether I'm actually doing what he wants me to do. The Sabbath was about becoming a whole person and to be a whole person who's restoring a whole society. And we made it about making, keeping a set of rules. It, it, it might surprise you, actually, that Jesus reserves the most scathing criticism that he has for religious people. Those are the people he goes after. He, he specifically wants to go against people who are religious, who have very little compassion for other people. And the reason he does that is because they end up using their religious practices to protect themselves from God. Maybe we are sometimes using our faith as a way to shield ourselves from even in, ending up dealing with God directly. It, which, it seems kind of crazy because these are people who are outwardly very religious, right? They're doing all the things. So it sounds crazy to say that they, they did that because everything that they did has God in it. But how could it be that they're resisting God? Well, God's not, res- God's not fooled by our outside actions. Doesn't, he's not fooled by the way that we talk or what, we, what everybody else perceives. You, we can fool other people with our fancy God talk or fancy actions, but God knows what's inside. There was, a, there was another occasion uh, when Jesus had a run-in with a group of Pharisees and teachers of the law. So these are um, people who are taking God's word very seriously. Uh, and this is in Mark 7. And he says to them, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the human traditions. He continues saying, thus you, have, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So by creating these other traditions that they hold on to, they're actually not dealing with God's law. They're not dealing with God. And they've reduced the Sabbath to a list of rules, something that they could give defined limits to, something that we can master. And I think that what it does is it holds the force of that Sabbath command back from actually shaping our hearts for what it's supposed to do. 
Because the force of the command is, hey, people are supposed to rest. You are supposed to rest. And the, the people that you, you're not supposed to make anybody else work that day either. People should be set free. They should be set free by a loving God. And, and we're not supposed to go back to slavery. So Jesus' healing of this woman isn't, isn't any different than untying an animal and setting it free on that day. And it, he doesn't make it look very hard. Anyway, he just goes, hey, you're healed. We're done. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but so what's happening is this synagogue leader, he's kind of painting this binary world. This, this world where we expect that, that things are either or. Either you can heal today or you honor God's commands. But Jesus, he ends up reframing this. He says it's not an either-or situation. This is a both-and. It's, it's people and it's principles. Because Jesus is actually honoring the Sabbath. He's not, he's not doing something he's not supposed to on the Sabbath. And he's caring for a person. Because ultimately, the best and most faithful course we can chart is one where we are 100% for people and 100% for principles, where both are happening. We don't have to give in on either side. That's the ideal situation. And I, you know, it seems like God kind of likes those kind of arrangements, things that we feel like that they don't really fit together, but he does make them go together. Just think about Jesus' own person or God's character. Is, there were lots of fights. Is Jesus a man or is Jesus God? He says, he is. Yes, both. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. Or God's own character. God is triune. We, we worship a triune God. It's, it's one God in three persons. Is it one or three? Yes. But there's one God. One God. Like it's said always. But somehow God is triune. And that's, that kind of breaks our brain a little bit sometimes. And, and uh, so the either or premise of the, the synagogue leader here doesn't, doesn't fit even in the course of the way that God seems to do a lot of things. It doesn't hold up. Because the faithful move here is to be 100% for people and 100% for principles. To live in the rest of the Sabbath by freeing her. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He didn't divide principles and people either. This is in Galatians 5. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We're free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Is it, is it freedom or is it being bound to loving other people? Well, yes, it's both. So we know that God upholds the rules. God also has compassion. And one of the first reasons why we know that is because of Jesus on the cross. I know that God upholds the rules and I know that God is a God of compassion because people who have wandered away from God. All of us have wandered away from God, but we know that Christ died for our sins. Christ gave himself for us. So Christ is the one who compassionately calls us back to him. Does sin, is sin still sin? Yes, that's why Christ had to die. But is, are we the ones who are invited back? Yes, He's calling us back by the same act. In the same act on the cross, he both condemned sin and welcomed sinful people. So we know that God is about both. It's, a, it's so beautiful. It's amazing that our God works this way. That he, he doesn't actually bend the rules for us, but he, what he does is he still welcomes us in by bearing all of this on himself. 
The love of God bore the consequences of our disobedience. Why? Because of his love and his compassion. And and that's what scripture calls it love. Probably you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That we, we are received in love, but he came to die on a cross. And so what that means for us, it means for you and for me, is that if we are followers of Jesus, if, if you are a Christian, we can't read this passage and think about other people who need compassion. Who is it that needs compassion? The person who needs compassion is the one who needs God to have compassion on them to bring compassionate healing in our life. And that's us. And that should change the way that we approach not only this passage, but even the whole world. That we're people who need compassion, just like the woman in this story. Or sometimes also the people who are withholding it, just like the synagogue leader in this story. I read myself in there so, so much. I don't realize that actually both of those people, the synagogue leader, needed that compassion as well, but he wasn't seeing it. But I'm, I'm in both places at the same time. All right, let, let's pick on evangelicals. It's better for us to pick on ourselves, right? This is kind of our club, our, our own crew. Uh, so we said earlier that a lot of people do have the impression that, that people are becoming, by, by giving themselves in faith to follow Jesus, that they, they seems like some people become a little too focused on operating on principles and become a little cold-hearted. And so what I'm, I'm not saying, I am not saying that we should back down from our principles. But I am saying that what most evangelicals in the world need more of isn't more principles. <laughs> we probably need to not be religious without compassion. So if we are actually going to be 100% for principles and 100% for people, if we're going to do both of those, which is the part that we need most? Probably a lot of people need a little bit of a compassion boost. I don't know, is there like a pill you can take, a compassion boost pill? That would be nice. Because we know that there is danger when Christians seek to be compassionate without having any principles. We know that. But there's also danger if we seek to have principles but have no compassion, if there's no love. Our love for God should drive us to have compassion for other people. Our experience of having God's own compassion, his own consolation in our lives, should drive us to console and have compassion for other people. It drives it. I think it was easy for the synagogue leader to talk about the issue of the Sabbath as like this theoretical thing, but there was a woman that was standing right there. He talked about it in a kind of detached way, but if he had really understood what it meant to have rest in God, to have a day of freedom, if he had understood his own need for compassion, I think he would have wanted to act in the same way as Jesus, which is probably the way that we probably should understand a lot of things. If I'm doing it right, I'm probably acting like Jesus would have in this circumstance. So we are going to be both full of compassion for people and full of principles. We live for God's glory and we live for our neighbor's good. Those things don't have to be separated. Well, who is it that is some person or a group of people that it is easier for you to have an opinion about than to act with compassion towards? 
I don't think we're going to need to pick one side or the other in this. We need to be 100% in both. And I want to say it is, it's a lot easier. It's just easier to pick one side or the other. It is easier. What's going to happen, though, if you force yourself not to, to just choose compassion or just choose principle, we are forced to engage with God. We, we have to say, God, where are you in this? What does it mean for me to be principled about this and yet compassionate? I, I'm struggling with this. I, I need your help, God. I, I want to just be compassionate, but I know, God, that you say there are principles that I'm supposed to apply here, and I, I feel like it, it makes me feel, it's hard for me. We're, it's not going to be an easy answer. We're going to have to do more work in prayer. If, if you want easy answers, you know, I, I, worked for, I worked for a lot of years with, with Muslims. I want to tell you, if you want easier answers in faith, I would like to present to you Islam. <laughs> it gives you all the answers for everything. You know what's the right foot to walk into a room with. It's your right foot. Like, there are a lot of rules about everything. If you want rules, you're not going to hear this every day at church. If you want rules, I present to you Islam. <laughs> but if you are, want a relationship with the living God, a God who compassionately loves you, and who won't let you settle for easy answers, then I present to you the gospel of Jesus. We have to look at Jesus Christ himself. He's a person. He's not a rule. He's not a formula. He's a person. And we have to respond to him as people. And so that means that we're going to be messier. And God is going to call us to step into the mess. And there is a messy middle that's there that we have to be called into to figure out how to live it, where we can live fully in our principles and fully compassionately for people. So I want you to think right now, what, who, is, who is somebody that you, it's easier for you to have an opinion about, not necessarily have compassion toward? Because I, I've talked with a lot of you, I know that we are all over the place on the political spectrum. I know that we are all over the place, even just age-wise, our life, where we're at in life. The answers to that is probably somebody else in the room, to tell you the truth. <laughs> think about that one for a minute. Maybe that changes our way that we think about being compassionate toward other people. But just imagine what would happen if we as Christians did this. If we as Christians really lived into this, I think we'd be a lot less smug. It's good for an image. I think, though, that we would be able to handle nuance a little bit better. People who handle nuance are able to handle some of the complexities of our world as well. And, and rather than just being people who join the ongoing tennis match of shouting that happens out there in the world, we might be able to meet people in those places that are just called issues and to be able to meet people in those places and, and to say, God has something to say about this, but we meet them. And I think what would happen is that people, if they felt that we cared so deeply for them, they might be able to say, in the end, I don't agree with him or her, but I know that she or he cares for me. I know that, they, that, that, that those Christians don't see things the same way that I do. That's the principle. But I know that I'm loved and cared for, and I know that I can go to them when I need something. That's the people. We don't have to give in on either one of those things. And I think that that would be surprising to our world. I think it would be motivating. It would, it, would, it would call people to want to look. It would be surprising to us, and it would be compelling. God wants us to wrestle with these deep things and not have easy answers for stuff. 
But you know what? It's messier. It is messier. But so is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this scripture today. I feel like I need to think about it still for about 10 more years. Uh, something that seemed so simple to me at first, just healing somebody, seems to apply in so many other areas of my life. And we, we don't get it right. And God, we ask for forgiveness for ways that we have been smug with our family, with our friends, in our, the way that we answer the, the world. I guess that we need a doctor. So we ask you to heal us. We ask you to help us to be people who are fully committed to what is right, to give glory to you in all things and not budge on that, but also to be compassionate all the way. And so we're asking you to help us to wrestle with that. Help us, Lord, to know how to care for people in that messy middle because we know that you've treated us that way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. On the first Sunday of each month, we take the Lord's Supper. I want to invite the communion servers to come up at this point.